Good morning again. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the priests here at Truro. If you have a Bible, I'd love to invite you to open it to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, um, you actually have a Bible in your pew. I'd love for you to, to take that out so you can follow along. 1 John chapter 4 is on page 1023 of the Pew Bible. In other words, it's way back towards the end. Now, if you listened closely as Tina read the six verses in 1 John we're going to look at today, you might have heard something that could be paraphrased like this. There are antichrists about, so don't believe everything you hear. There are antichrists about, so don't believe everything you hear. You might remember this from a few weeks ago when we looked at the Antichrist in 1 John chapter 2, but I'm going to review really quickly what I'm talking about when I talk about Antichrist. Here's what we said last time. An Antichrist is someone or something that pulls you or pulls us, because the epistles are almost always in the second person plural, away from the love and lordship of Jesus. Let me repeat that. Someone or something is antichrist if it pulls you or pulls us away from the love and lordship of Jesus. Now, if you look closely with me here at 1 John chapter 4, the first verse, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he goes on to say in verse 3 that these false prophets have the spirit of the Antichrist. So you've got some who are from God who speak the truth, and you've got some false prophets with the spirit of the Antichrist. And so here's the question that we're going to try to answer this morning along with John. How do we know if something is of God or if it is of anti, or if it is antichrist? John tells us in the first verse here to test the spirits. Practically speaking, how do we test the spirits? How, how ought we to discern if something is from God or if it's not from God? Now, for those of you who are planners who like to know where it is we're going this morning, I'm going to pull four things out of 1 John that ought to help us discern, to know whether we can or ought to believe something, to, to test the spirits. Now, John's still teaching the fundamentals, but it's vitally important that we get this right or we'll find ourselves veering off track and pulled away from the love of Jesus, either intentionally or unintentionally, by that and those which are antichrist. So let's take a look together. Now first, there are some assumptions that John is making by this point in the chapter. He's telling his audience, and by extension us, not to believe everything you hear, to stick closely to the truth. But he's also assuming at this point that we are applying what he's taught so far in this letter. One of my friends always says that we ought to read the Bible from left to right, that what has come before ought to inform what it is we're hearing now, right? John doesn't write these letters in isolation. Chapter four is, I mean, it's an aside for John, but he's building off of what he's already said for three chapters. He's laying a foundation 
And so if we're not following the instructions of the first three chapters of the first chapter of John, or of the first book of John, then we run the risk of being misled left, right, and center. Every winter, Jenny, my wife, and I have taken our boys skiing since our two oldest were five and three. Now, the first few trips, the boys took lessons, and they skied between my knees, and we spent a lot of time on small beginner runs on small mountains. We visited Massanutten, which is like a mass of nothing. We, we went skiing in the Poconos, those monstrous mountains that attract skiers from far and wide. And we started in these little mountains with these little runs on purpose. We didn't expect our boys to be able to handle moguls or powder or trees or cliffs or black diamonds out west or up in Vermont or anything. They needed to learn the basics first, right? Now, I don't know how many of you have skied with small children, especially perhaps fearless small children, but it wasn't long before my boys were flying down the slopes. I mean flying like tuck and go. One single turn at the bottom to stop to get on the chairlift and go up and tear down the mountain again. And it seems like it must have only been a year before they were begging me, Dad, can we go on a black diamond? All right? Now, if you've been skiing before, you'll know that ski runs are categorized like this. You've got the green circles. What are the green circles? They're beginner runs. And then you've got the blue squares. And what are the blue squares? Intermediate. And then you've got the black diamonds, which are advanced, and the double black diamonds, which are expert only. And because my boys mostly just tucked and tore, I established a rule from the start. I said, I'll take you on a black diamond as soon as you prove to me that you can make good turns. Because a turn is how you avoid said moguls and trees and cliffs. A turn is also how you check your speed. A turn on skis is how you stay under control. And what I didn't want is for my boys to get to the top of a black diamond, start down, realize, oh boy, and lose control and find themselves flying off a mogul, veering towards trees, perhaps ending up cartwheeling, pole here, pole there, full on yard sale, ski there, ski there, buried, head first, waist deep in snow. Has that ever happened to you before? Probably not you. Definitely has not happened to me before. Of course, the boys didn't want to turn. They didn't want to do anything that might check their speed. Right? It was a couple more years before they realized what a beautiful gift beautiful turns are to a skier. And yeah, turns might slow you down sometimes, but they also keep you from dying. Here's what I'm trying to say. I promise there's a point. Okay? If you try to discern God's will, if you try to discern truth, from error or, or God's leading, if you try to test the spirits without hearing and applying what John has already taught us 
in the first three chapters of John. And heck, what he's trying to teach us here in chapter four, it's like tackling a black diamond without knowing how to make a turn. You might make it to the bottom in one piece every once in a while, but there's a pretty good chance that something might go horribly wrong along the way. If you're not walking out the basics of the first three chapters of John, you will inevitably struggle with discernment in spiritual matters. And you'll find yourself susceptible to all sorts of lies and falsehoods. So the first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to take an inventory of the basics of the first three chapters. Back in 1 John chapter 1, John Wright wrote, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He went on to say that if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Let's take an inventory. Are you regularly confessing your sins? Are you regularly confessing your sins? He continues on in chapter 2 to talk about love. Are you loving your brothers and sisters in the faith? And in doing so, regularly putting away anger and hatred towards your fellow believers. That's in chapter 2. Take an inventory. Am I loving my brothers and sisters? Putting away anger and hatred towards them. And then in chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, he talks about putting away the desires of the world. Desires for stuff and money and status. Giving our, giving our desires instead to the things that are of God. For John, when he instructs us to test the spirits here in chapter 4, he assumes we're already growing in these areas. That we're confessing our sins. That we're loving our brothers and sisters. That we're putting away a love for the world. If we're not, we're setting ourselves up for failure. It's like trying to ski a black diamond in Utah without learning how to turn on skis first. So first, if you want to discern truth from error, test the spirits, take an inventory. Where we've been so far. Are you confessing your sins? Are you loving your brothers and sisters? Are you putting away desires for the world? First, an inventory for the basics. Now, there's a primary marker for John, one that we've heard over and over each and every week, and we see it here again right here in verse 2. Will you look at it with me? John writes, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Friends, you want to discern whether something is of God or not. First, as we've seen so far, you've got to confess your sins. You've got to walk in the light. You've got to love your Christian brothers and sisters. Second, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Confess Jesus. Trust Jesus. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. This is perhaps the easiest way to know if you're on the right track. How is your relationship with Jesus? How is your relationship with Jesus? John Calvin, in his commentary on 1 John, says it like this. I think this is really helpful. He wrote, John lays down a special mark by which we might more easily distinguish between true and false prophets. Yet he, John, Calvin writes, only repeats here what we have met with before. 
that as Christ is the object at which faith aims, so he is the stone at which all heretics stumble. As long, then, as we abide in Christ, he writes, there is safety. But when we depart from Christ, faith is lost, and all truth is rendered void. John's not saying anything new here. Here's the thing. If, when we're growing in our relationship with Jesus, when we're abiding in him, it's awfully hard to miss God's will. But when we're not, when we're not abiding in Jesus, when we're not growing in our relationship with him, then it is quite easy for us to stumble, to get it wrong, to trust in lies, which would make sense if Jesus himself is the truth. First, take an inventory in the basics, confessing your sins, loving your brother and sister, putting away the things of the world. Second, you want to test the spirits? Are you growing in your relationship with Jesus? Are you focusing on him, confessing him, listening to him, loving him? Third, look with me at verse four. John writes, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For them being the antichrist, the false prophets. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you have a, your own Bible or even a pew Bible, I don't care if you write in those, go ahead and circle that word you. It's repeated twice in verse four. You are from God and he who is in you is greater. Now in the Greek, as is almost always the case in the New Testament, the you here is plural. It's a y'all. I can't help but wonder if perhaps we need a y'all version of the Bible. It would probably help us quite a bit here in the English. This is so, so, so important because John isn't saying that you are from God. He's saying that y'all are from God. He's not saying that you have overcome. He's saying that y'all have overcome. And this is so, so, so key to discernment. Please hear this. The Christian life is personal, but it's never private. The Christian life is personal, but it's never private. Discernment is meant to happen in community. Discerning what is of God and what isn't of God, it's meant to be done together. It's why when I was discerning a call to the priesthood, I met with the discernment committee. We decided together, is this what God is calling Mike to? It's why when my wife Jenny and I were considering moving to Northern Virginia from San Diego, Six and a half years ago, we gathered fellow Christians and invited them into our discernment process. I mean, heck, we thought it would be it was crazy. Because it is crazy to leave San Diego from Northern Virginia. Or to leave for, from San Diego to go to... Why would you do that? And so we invited friends who loved us and loved God in to pray with us, to pray for us, to tell us, to confirm, is this from God or is it not? These things are meant to be done in community. And you know what? It works. That's why even now in an interim period, we have a search committee. This work is meant to be done in community, the work of discernment. Overcoming that and those which are antichrist on your own is exceedingly difficult. It's exceedingly difficult. Defeating that sin that's habitual in your life, on your own, is exceedingly difficult. 
discerning the call from God in your life on your own, exceedingly difficult. Separating what is good teaching from false teaching on your own is really difficult. But when we invite others into those spaces, things change. Y'all, we, together, are able to overcome false teaching. We're able together to discern God's call. First, take an inventory of the basics. Second, focus on Jesus. Third, y'all, over, we overcome together, discern together in community. And fourth, let's look at verses five and six together. John writes, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, now, I, I want to be careful and cautious here because verses like this can be weaponized, right? We hear from God, so listen to us and do what we say. I, I want to be careful so that we get the fourth key of testing the spirits here in 1 John correctly. Because John writes, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. John is speaking here as a pastor, as one with spiritual authority. And here's what I'm going to say. There may be times when a pastor speaks with this sort of authority. And John may have been speaking about general pastoral authority here. But I think the proper application isn't listen to your pastors, we speak for God. Whoever knows God listens to us. I don't think it's listen to the prophets, listen to the experts. Whoever knows God listens to us. In fact, I think that this sort of language coming from someone in authority or from a pastor is a significant red flag. Now, I can't speak for Jamie or Mary or Sue or Stephen, but I know that I get it wrong occasionally from time to time. Who am I kidding? I get it wrong all the time. Jamie, not quite as often, but sometimes. <laughs> I think what John is speaking to here is a specific apostolic authority. He's saying we, the apostles, speak with authority. Authority that has come specifically from God and that now comes to us in the scriptures. When John says, listen to me, well, you and I can, okay? We can, by hearing the words he has written here, by the power of the Holy Spirit for us, and obeying them. When a pastor speaks this, it carries authority. It's, it's one of the main reasons, I think it's the main reason why our communion liturgy is so powerful. Not because it's the word of a pastor or even Thomas Cramner, who pulled those words together, but because it is full of scripture, as is our prayer of absolution when we clergy declare the forgiveness of sins after the prayer of confession. Sure, there's something to be said for pastoral authority there, but the reason it's so powerful is because we're proclaiming for us, the people of God, not our words, but the words of scripture, the words of scripture. And so here's what I want to say when it comes to spiritual discernment, to testing the spirits. We listen to the scriptures. 
We read the Bible. We do what it says. We, we test the teaching of our preachers against this. It's why I always say, well, you open your Bible and follow along. I don't want you to assume that what I'm saying is correct. Lord knows I screw up. I want you to test it. Is what he's saying they're correct? Test the teachings of the world or those who would influence us over and against the teachings of the Bible. Or over and against, yeah, that's right, the teachings of the Bible. My favorite place in the whole world is a Christian boys camp in upstate New York called Deerfoot Lodge, where I spent a decade as a camper and as a staff member. The camp director there spent a generation discipling college-aged young men who served each summer on staff, including myself. And there was something he used to say to young men struggling to discern God's will for their lives, something he said to me too, as I struggled with the sense that God could be calling me to be a pastor when I was 20 years old. Here's, here's what he used to say. He used to ask, are you growing in your relationship with Jesus? Are you in Christian community? Are you regularly reading the Bible and doing what it says? Have you dealt with the patterns of sin in your life? putting away the things of the world in darkness. If yes, he used to say, then use your brain and walk. Then use your brain and walk. If you're doing those things, he would say, it's hard to miss the will of God. I remember the relief I felt when he said that. I was 20 years old. It seemed so simple and so straightforward and so wise. Here I am, 16 and a half years later, studying 1 John, and realizing that John is basically writing the same thing. Because you shouldn't believe everything you hear. We ought to test the spirits and regularly seek to hear God's voice and discern his will. And it is possible to miss it, find ourselves deceived by that and those which are antichrist. There will come times in each of our lives when we're going to have to turn, turn around, switch directions. For honest, it probably happens every day. How do we make sure we're hearing correctly? How do we know if something is of God or antichrist? It's not rocket science. We confess our sins. We love our brothers and sisters, even as we put away anger towards them. We seek things of God rather than things of the world. We focus relentlessly on Jesus, on who he is and what he's done, abiding in him. We press into community, doing it together, because together is how we overcome that and those who would lead us away from Jesus. And we listen to the Bible. As my old camp director used to say, we read the Bible and we do what it says. We'll still miss it from time to time. We may very well need to turn around and change directions, but if we do these things, these basics, and if we do them together with Jesus in the middle, well, I'd venture to say we're pretty likely to head in the right direction. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your scriptures which still speak to us today. And I pray that by your spirit, we might become this sort of people, the sort of people who regularly confess our sins to each other, who deal with our anger and hatred, seek to love one another well. 
Make us to be the sort of people who seek things of you rather than the things of the world together. Gracious God, help us to focus relentlessly on your son. To press into community. To read the Bible and do what it says. And to do it together. Gracious God, would you make us to be that sort of community? It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.